Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 50 of The Revenge of Kang. This page contains most of chapter 27, entitled Good Afternoon, Mr. Tyler, in which our heroes, having cracked the mystery of who manages the mysterious boxer, 100% of whose gear is emblazoned with the logo of Tom Tyler Management, will go to Tom Tyler's office and demand to know why he's pushing supervillain steroids and where he got them. There's an image on this page. I'm going to put it on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash megadumbcast a free image post for everyone so you can see this picture I'm talking about. This is important today because I'm going to use the image as the dumbest thing on a technicality because the complaints I have with this page, which are substantial, are not the author's fault and they're not exactly on the page. Uh, There are problems that are going to arise in play, but it's not the module or the author's fault. So I've got to focus on the art and um, fortunately it came through for me. What we've got here is the West Coast Avengers gathered around the desk of what I guess is Tom Tyler. He looks like a kind of crummy cigar-smoking boxing manager. He's leaning back. Wonder Man is looming over him, pointing, making a fist, looking intimidating. The always game to roleplay but somewhat subdued Hawkeye is standing behind Wonder Man with his arms folded like, yes, and I roll eight another to assist Wonder Man in intimidating the perp. And then behind that is Moon Knight. We can't see his face, but we can see the hood. So either Moon Knight is here or he has again replaced himself with a mannequin and gone off to do more interesting things. Closer to the foreground relative to Wonder Man is Tigra. She's facing away from camera so that we can see her butt. For those of you not following along visually on the visual companion, uh, it is a butt. It remains stripy. More information on later pages as the situation develops. Vision is standing there looking bored. Scarlet Witch, as almost always in these images, is kind of standing apart from the group, looking mildly annoyed with her gaze fixed nowhere near the action. But then, and this is the dumbest thing on this page, in the very foreground, we have what we're going to find out is Tom Tyler's assistant in close-up. And there's this weird x-ray vision or like like manifesting illusion or hologram effect. It's just like little lines surrounding Kang's face superimposed on the assistant's face. It's just like Kang's face floating in front of or on a normal human head. But the angle is all wrong. We're going to find out in the text that this assistant is Kang and is using some kind of special disguise device to appear to be a normal 20th century person. So I guess the idea is that we're like seeing through the holographic mask to the true Kang beneath, but that shit does not match. This does not look like 40th century disguise technology. This looks like Kang is running around disguised by a very weak real-time deep fake device. Like his eyes, they're not at all where you would expect the eyes on this head to be. The angle is all wrong. The outline is all wrong. If you imagine not being able to see through the hologram as an artistic contrivance, like just seeing the actual holographic disguise that Kang is projecting outside himself, if the angles are this fucked up, this assistant is going to be continually like thinking he's looking at someone, but visually it looks like he's like staring off into the corner or like he's never going to match an eyeline. With these fucking eyes, not a chance. Never once has Tom Tyler's assistant ever successfully made eye contact since he was replaced by Kang. 
It's hard to convey how wrong this is without the visual reference, but just think of like your face just sort of loosely fit onto you with a lot of play, like a boot that's too big. Think of how it would fuck up your life. That's where we're at with Kang's holographic disguise. That's the dumbest thing in this page. However, as usual, the art only gently brushes up against what's actually happening in the text. We get some box text when we go to Tyler's office. Quote, Tyler's management office seems to be located in another gym, located a couple of blocks away from Hogan's. Tyler's gym is located on the second floor of a four-story building. Every once and a while, you see a young athlete head up to the gym. But the people attending the gym turn out to be mostly a karate class of 19 people. I don't know why this detail, it doesn't really come up. So anyway, we go through the pointless karate class that we never needed to hear about, and we go to the back office. Quote, Tyler and an assistant are both in the back office when the heroes arrive. If the heroes ask Tyler about Mike Franklin, he denies he has ever met the lad. If the heroes persist, Tyler's assistant slams the office door shut and begins to shimmer, metamorphosing into the Kang duplicate. It goes on to explain this advanced deepfakes technology that Kang is using to almost secure illusory eye contact with Tom Tyler's no doubt confused clientele. Anyway, once he's shut the door behind him, thus shutting the secret zoomers into Tom Tyler's office, Kang drops the disguise, takes out a laser gun, and starts shooting. Uh, Tom Tyler, who is also mind-controlled by Kang, like others we have met to this point, and has also been taking supervillain steroids, jumps in as an additional combatant. He's not quite as tough as Mike Franklin, but the supervillain steroids turned him into, like, a strong guy. Like, he has excellent strength, remarkable endurance. Essentially, we are fighting Kang the Conqueror and a guy who's into MMA. This is where we can talk a little bit about how the secret Zoomers stack up against Kang. Uh, they're not going to have any difficulty with Tom Tyler. He's just a guy. We can handle a guy. Kang has this force field, though. It's an incredible strength force field. And by the way, I want to make a quick uh, clarification. When we talked days ago about the Misfits fighting Kang and about how they were going to potentially get through his incredible intensity force field, I mentioned Glass Cannon being able to fight him through it. That's not because she does more than incredible damage. She does exactly incredible damage, which means she can't actually inflict health on Kang through the force field, uh, but she can because her damage matches the strength of the force field. She can still get um, stun results through the field. So she could eventually knock him out despite having to pound through the force field. That's what makes her dangerous to him. Just a, a little niggling issue that was bugging me since I edited the episode. I think I misstated what was up with her. But as it turns out, the secret zoomers are in a similar situation as the misfits. They're going to have trouble getting enough damage going to get through the force field. Certainly nothing that molten core can directly do with the molten core armor can get through. Likewise, short circuit and Slime Time's only power that does enough damage to have any effect on Kang, unfortunately, is a touch power, that touch shock power that Slime Time's Slime can do. If Slime Time's Slime touches you, then it can shock you for incredible damage. But of course, the whole point of a force field is that people can't touch you, so that won't work. Only Extra can muster enough damage with her Scream attack, which kind of puts Extra in a real tough position because, you know, she's skilled at combat, but she's not a very hard target. And if she's the only one who can hurt Kang, then he's going to want to focus on taking her down. Thinking about ways to get around this problem, it occurred to me that Short Out, who otherwise is not going to be much help here, uh, his main power is to shrink down to like an inch tall using his little urban exploration drone, which is great for exploring liminal urban spaces and making videos for TikTok, but is not great for beating up world conquerors from the future. But Short Out also has electrical manipulation. And Kang, like a sucker, like a chump, came back in time with all this electrical shit. He doesn't have superpowers. He has gadgets, right? So with electrical manipulation, I thought maybe I can weaken this force field enough 
for slime time to get in and uh, do a shock touch or enough for molten cores fire or super strong power armor punches to get through and hurt Kang. This caused me to look up two things in the main core book and become very sad. Number one, the electrical manipulation superpower. And number two, the nature of power stunts. I quote now from page 75 of the Advanced Player's Guide, the actual canonical description of what Shortout's electrical powers do. Quote, the hero can manipulate and control electricity. Ignore that sentence, it is false. Quote, initially, this gives the hero a resistance to electrical attacks equal to this power rank. It goes on to say, as the hero progresses, the hero may develop the following power stunts. And then he gives a bunch of them. Uh, healing by absorbing electricity, absorbing electrical damage, acting as a conductor, moving at speed equal to your power rank by riding along lines of electricity, like through power lines and wiring and stuff, which at the point that you're kind of swimming through electrical currents and power lines, I feel like electrical manipulation is a misnomer, but whatever. Uh, and then finally, quote, storing energy within self and delivering a shocking touch of power rank damage. So, okay, it's a modest collection of five stunts, little applications, of things you can do with electricity other than just being hard to kill with electricity, which is the main functionality of this power, it turns out. When they say electrical manipulation, what they mainly mean is killing you with electricity takes slightly longer than usual. But if you're willing to go out on a limb and try these power stunts, you can use your power for other somewhat more interesting things. So how do power stunts work? What's it going to take for me to brown out this force field so that my teammates can punch through it? I quote from page 16 of the Advanced Player's Book, quote, there are some cases when a hero may use a power in a way it was not originally intended to carry out a certain task. These are known as power stunts. And he gives the example of using super speed to create a whirlwind, very classic comic book stuff. So how should the judge adjudicate this? Quote, the basic question to be asked is, has this hero done this sort of thing before? And it says if you're playing a character from the comic books, you can use the comic books for guidance. If you're playing an original character, the assumption is that your heroes have never done these power stunts before. Assuming that the judge will approve you trying a stunt for the first time, then you can roll to attempt a power stunt. Quote, the type of feat made against the power rank needed to make a power stunt is determined by the number of times your character has tried it. Never tried it? Red feet roll. Tried it up to three times? Yellow feet roll. Tried it more than three times? Green feet roll. In addition, a character making a power stunt must lay out 100 karma points to make the roll, in addition to any other karma he may spend. Spending the karma does not guarantee success, it only ensures that yes, the character can try the stunt. Only once you have done the stunt 10 times does it cease to require a feat roll and a karma expenditure. This means that to use one of these five somewhat underwhelming stunts that make electrical manipulation actually manipulate electricity, Shortout will need to spend 1,000 karma if he succeeds every time, keeping in mind that the first time he tries it, he will have a 5% chance of success after he spends his 100 karma. Only once he's eventually tried enough times to succeed at that rate, will he be able to start trying again with a 30% chance of success, again at 100 karma a pop. Then the last seven times he does it, he has a 60% chance of success at 100 karma a pop. Then finally he can add, you know, act as a conductor to his power list. Jesus, I'm already the size of an electrical component and I'm made of metal. What the fuck do you want from me? Do I have to pay 1500 karma to reliably conduct electricity? This is some bullshit, partly because it's overpriced, but partly because it detracts so much from the dynamic of a fight like this. Short out can't do shit to Kang, just like numbers to numbers, just like 
taking your biggest number on your character sheet and throwing it at the bad guy, that kind of combat, Short Out cannot do shit to Kang. But electrical manipulation should be the kind of power that allows you to find a way around, right? I could reduce the power of his force field. I could depower his laser gun at a key moment. I could take down the lights in the office. He needs to aim his laser gun. We don't need to aim Extra's voice. So that would give us an advantage. All of those things are power stunts. But if you're going to tell me that all of those things have a 5% chance of success and it costs me 100 karma to try, you know, from my extravagant horde of 70 starting karma, I might as well not. I might as well give up. I would be much better off letting the one person on the team who can contribute in this scene spend that karma to stay alive and do more damage, which precisely reverses the whole benefit, the whole rationale of having a core system like this. Instead of the combination of karma and power stunts allowing anyone to contribute by being creative and daring, like in a superhero comic, because the team has a karma pool, we can all share karma together, it's saying not only can Short Out not contribute, most likely, but he shouldn't even try to contribute because it costs so many resources that he's effectively stealing them from the one member of the team who, if Earth is to survive, should probably just make a series of boring karma-aided attack rolls while everybody else stays in the corner and tries not to cost the team anything by getting hurt. So it's not on this page, it's not this author's fault, but if I were playing this campaign, the thing I would be pissed about today is that the electrical manipulation power turns out not to come standard with the ability to manipulate electricity, and getting it to do that is vastly expensive, way beyond the scope of what I can achieve in this whole adventure path, let alone this scene. Like, you've heard me complain about karma again and again. If you think one of the four-player characters sharing a karma pool in this adventure path is going to be able to spend literally 1,500 karma learning to reliably do one trick with his power, you are fucking delusional. And without the ability to do that, Short Out is basically just a tiny, shiny man who is hard but not impossible to electrocute. But anyway, after interminable rounds of one-player characters screaming and the other player characters doing I guess nothing, the Secret Zoomers will finally beat Kang, and then because by this point they have realized that they are actually playing D&D, search the bodies. Once they search the bodies, they will find that Tyler has a little metal disc on his head, which is how he was being mind-controlled, whereas Kang is conveniently carrying a selection of exposition aids, a little vial of the supervillain steroids, so we can confirm our hypothesis that that's what's been going on here, a vial of antidote, so that if we weren't able to beat roided-up Mike Franklin before, we can go slip this in his drink, wait for it to take effect, and then beat the shit out of him, thus instilling nine-year-old Matt Murdock with the warm and cozy feeling toward his future prospects of violence that we desire him to have, and a small radio direction finder tuned to Kang's timeship so that Kang can find it wherever it is. Following the radio finder, we will find Kang's timeship. Inside Kang's timeship, we will find Kang's time ball. Our final objective in Hell's Kitchen completed, we may now bid goodbye to nine-year-old Matt Murdock, thank him for buying us ice cream, Awkwardly tell him we're real sorry he's got to live through all this shit, not to mention the shit that's coming down the pike. And then it's off to our next stop to help our next superhero. But of course, for podcast purposes, it won't be us helping the next superhero. It will be our erstwhile allies who definitely should not be helping us right now, the 1960s X-Men. So join me next time for that on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret, patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. 
I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.